Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, hey, it's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. If I told you that today was a holiday, if I told you that events planned for today um, had been covered wall to wall on every national media outlet in the most populous nation on earth, what event, what holiday do you imagine I might be talking about? Well, because I'm talking about the most populous country in the world, we'd be talking about India. Maybe you had forgotten that India surpassed China as the most populous country in the world. That happened last year. India has continued to grow. Um, China has actually declined in population for the second year in a row. Birth rates are at a record low. We might talk about that at another point in time. But India matters. Um, India uh, India is rising might be one way of thinking about this. And so what matters in India today? Well, it's a holiday, um, and they have celebrated an hours-long consecration and inauguration of a massive new shrine, a shrine to an idol known as Lord Ram. Um, Ram is one of Hinduism's most revered deities, and um, this new shrine sits on the side of a 16th century mosque that was demolished by Hindu nationalists in 1992. And so you can imagine that for the Muslim majority in India, today is not a celebration, not a, quote, holiday, holy day, not a day um, set apart for celebration. President Modi officially opened this shrine to the idol, Lord Ram, the lavish temple built on the site that is sacred to Muslims. So in the 16th century, Muslims built a mosque on this site, and it stood as a center of worship for Muslims until just 30 years ago, when again, Hindu nationalists literally tore down the mosque with axes and clubs and their bare hands. The Supreme Court in India granted Hindus permission to build this new massive temple to Ram on the contested site. And following that ruling, um, Hindu nationalists then began targeting and vandalizing and in some cases demolishing additional mosques across India because they they saw the state and the court as supporting um, their Hindu eradication of those of other faiths. Now, I'm talking about this today because we as Christians— tend to focus on the demolition of churches when it happens in places like China. We tend to focus as Christians on the destruction of churches by ISIS or other affiliated Muslim jihadists. But people of faith who are religious minorities in countries where 
the religious majority majority is not their faith. So in this case, Muslim minority in India, which is a predominantly Hindu country. People of faith are being increasingly targeted in places where the majority of people hold to a different faith and where that has found a nationalistic fervor. So I just want to say this morning, what we build matters. And what other people build, like, it matters because it matters to them. So when we consecrate a piece of land or a building, we set it apart for a sacred or holy use. Other people feel the same way about those pieces of land and places and buildings that they are consecrating to what they consider holy. And so there's an opportunity for a really dynamic conversation to be had today. What do you as a Christian believe about places that are consecrated as holy? How do you feel about churches that are now empty and are for sale in communities across America that are being converted into bars and restaurants and nightclubs? How do you feel about that? Would you rather they be torn down? What we tear down matters. We've had a conversation across our country about monuments and statuary. What we build matters. What we tear down matters. What we then build in places where something has been torn down matters as well. So don't you think about um, the places where you walk today and the way we talk about the places um, that we use and inhabit and just recognize that um, there's a very robust spiritual battle raging. The enemy is actively right now trying to tear down the church that Jesus is actively seeking to build. Yes, what we build matters. But what God builds matters a whole lot more. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit in which the Spirit of the living God wants to dwell and the enemy wants to tear it down and replace it with a false god. So how might you and I live differently today if we truly considered our bodies to be temples of the Holy Spirit, consecrated to God as instruments for his goodness and grace? And how might we live differently today if we recognized that as Christians, we are being built together into a spiritual dwelling, that we are members of one another, that when somebody's trying to tear you down, um, they're trying to tear me down too as your sister in Christ. Spiritual confusion is real. Um, It leads to wars. It has led to wars uh, uh, over the course of time, Um, wars that sometimes we even call holy, but are anything but. So as we watch what's unfolding in India today between Hindu nationalists and every religious minority, and as we watch what's happening in China between the Chinese Communist Party and efforts to eradicate any and all expressions of faith, and as we witness the erosion of genuine Christian faith in many places around the world, even in our own communities, let us be people who are built up in our faith. Let us be people who never bow down to a false God. And let us recognize that where we walk is always holy ground. 
This is Mornings with Carmen. Joining us next is Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. Uh, We're going to talk about um, the Uvalde report that was issued this week. We'll also talk about the saber rattling around the world as there are wars and rumors of wars. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now is Elizabeth Newman. Um, Elizabeth, the one thing that people probably really want to know, really want to know, is not something that you and I have planned to talk about, and that is the fact that you are at the Sundance Film Festival. Yeah, I'm at the Sundance Film Festival. Life because is you're, strange. Because you're the subject of a documentary? What? What? But, uh, no, no, no. I, I'm in a documentary. I, I wouldn't say I was the subject of it, but um, it, it, I didn't We can start know. that rumor. I'm just saying. Right. We can start that rumor right now. Um, Carmen, when, when, I, when I agreed to participate in this project, I didn't know that it would result in a documentary that would get selected by Sundance. But uh, about a year ago, I was asked to participate in a tabletop exercise. Um, and for those of you that have any sort of background in the military or in, in the security side of government, uh, you know, we, we do exercises as part of our discipline. Um, so I, I happily said yes. It was a veterans organization that asked. And I, any anything that the men and women who served our country asked me to do, I'm, I tried to find a way to say yes. Well, um, the the topic of the the documentary or the exercise was what happens if we have a part of our uh, uh, military that uh, decides that they don't agree with the outcome of an ele- of an election, and mm. um, it kind of is working through the legal and policy issues associated with what do we do if some you know relatively small percentage of um, uh, of either the national guard or uh, uniformed services. Uh, decides to get involved in um, disrupting the peaceful transition of power. And so that's, that's what the documentary is about. And I will tell you, I've previewed the movie and it, it's, it was more chilling to watch the movie than it was to participate in the exercise. <laughs> it was, uh, wow. it definitely is thought provoking. And we have some, I would say some policy work to do to make sure um, we, we have good responses to that. Um, but, you know, it's a, we live in challenging times and, um, uh, the, I think the goal of everybody involved in this effort, this documentary was, uh, not, uh, it's, it's decidedly nonpartisan, but it is, mm-hmm. um, trying to acknowledge that there are certain things about the way our government is structured that are based on norms, not based on like law. And what if those norms start to crack like they have, and all of a sudden you start to see like certain things don't work the way that we assume that they would um, and trying to uh, where we can shore up a norm with an actual policy or with a, a law is really important for continuing um, the success of our democracy. Um, but I think one of the lessons we all should um, recognize, especially after the last few years is there's no guarantee that our democracy continues the way it has the past 200, almost 250 years. Um, we have to work at it. We have to, we have to nurture it and, and help it grow and flourish. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm in Sundance. It's strange life sometimes. Yeah, it's a strange life, but I'm glad you are. Um, I'm glad you're engaged in that conversation and thank you for, you know, bringing us a portion of it today. It's, 
important for all of us to think about, even if it's not something we really want to think about. Um, on our list of things to talk about today are definitely things that we we wish were not true about the world. Um, a comprehensive report has been released in relationship to um, the events at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. May 2022 is the you know date we're looking at. 19 students and two teachers were killed in um, in an attack that took far longer than it should have um, because. The report says responders, including the commanding officer, shifted um, from, you know, an active shooter scenario to a barricaded shooter. um, And therefore, they did not go in. They did not enter. Now, we all know that we've we've seen videos of the hallways. We've heard the 911 calls from children in the classrooms like we have lived um, portions of this. I guess I'm wondering you know, from your perspective as an analyst, what are some of your takeaways and then maybe some encouragements for the path ahead? Oh, I, as I was reviewing the report, it just um, reopens uh, the trauma, right? It, it was a horrific, every, every school shooting is horrific. This one was particularly horrific because of the age of the victims and it just went on so long. I was covering it on the air for ABC. And I, I remember typing to the producers, like, you know, what, what's happening? It should be resolved mm-hmm. by now. And it kept going and going. And um, the, uh, you know, but I think one of the things that I'm struggling with is a lot of our law enforcement structure is uh, built on principles of federalism, which, which I as a conservative and very supportive of Um, in this instance, that system failed and they're probably due to the size of Texas and, you know, Uvalde is quite rural by the time um, you could actually get uh, people of rank um, from other parts of the state in there to, to take over just too much time had passed um, and it really, really emphasizes how important it is that every single person in the law enforcement system and the emergency responder system in our hospitals, like one of the uh, findings is that the hospitals didn't know how to handle, it wasn't just the response to the victims, but it was how do you handle the parents who are waiting for answers. Um, and so there were mistakes made there. There were mistakes made in the the triage of, of um, wounded victims, people that were sent home that needed medical attention, um, people that needed medical attention that were ignored because uh, it, it, we actually don't know why. It just was mm-hmm. a very chaotic environment. There was no mm-hmm. command center, which is like really basic 101 um, of an incident. It doesn't matter the type of incident. Uh, everybody that is in our U.S. Um, homeland security system, which includes law enforcement, emergency responders, they know the first thing you do is you stand up a command center and you have a unified command structure and everybody gets trained on that. And it's just a little concerning, more than a little concerning. It's it's just mind boggling. Uh, why that didn't happen. And I will tell you that there's an aspect of having been in this field now for 20 years that um, while Uvalde is much more catastrophic 
and much more, um, uh, yeah, just at, in terms of the size, a much more uh, significant failure. I have watched in recent years a number of incidents fail for for lack of people just following generally accepted practice at this point. And I I don't know what that is about. I don't know if we've grown complacent. I don't know mm. if there's an aspect of, look, it is really hard to be law enforcement in this country, especially in the last few years. Um, most police agencies are having difficulty recruiting. Um, the, uh, you know, this is a challenge post-COVID. Um, the health system is struggling. The emergency response system is struggling. Um, and so I, I, it could be that. It could be we just don't have enough people. And when you don't have mm -hmm. enough people, training tends to get pushed to the side. Um, we've probably lost a lot of institutional knowledge. You probably had a number of retirements um, in the COVID era, and, and perhaps that is contributing to it. But um, I think the thing that concerns me about Uvalde is that we would be foolish to assume that it is the only place where this type of catastrophic failure could happen. And and I don't mean to say that to scare people because we have plenty of examples of where the response was excellent. Um, Nashville Covenant School is an example of where they did it well. Um, yeah. And so there are places that are doing it well. But here's the thing, uh, turning to what we as individuals can do. One, um, we can support our local law enforcement. They have a really tough job and um, modeling in ways of uh, we're praying for you, we're caring for you, having your church uh, provide support to local law enforcement, that matters. It creates community. It creates a sense of like they're not out there on their own, even though uh, on a bad day they would be the first ones in. Um, they, they need to know that the community has their back. Um, yeah. But second, hold your local officials accountable. We have got to hire people of competence and character. And it matters down at that local level. That local level is the first to respond. So if you have a corrupt uh, city council or um, county sheriff or you know anybody in the system that is not actually caring about the job itself and just uh, wants the glory, but not the work, um, that, that really matters. And we've got to stop focusing so much on national politics, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but what matters much more to your daily life, including the, the response on a bad day, that may mean whether you or your loved ones survive a bad incident, it, it comes down to who we're putting in power at our local levels. So that, that would be my encouragement is we, we can do something about this, but it does mean that we have to get involved and we have to pay attention to those local elected officials. So I'm going to encourage you if you're listening right now and you live in a rural community, I want you to check out Stop the Bleed. It is a program that provides opportunities for you, first responders and physicians in places where, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of people um, and you may be the first responder um, to res to arrive at a scene and would you know what to do? Um, there is just-in-time training for all of us. Um, let's not be bystanders. Let's be people who are, are are ready and willing to respond in our own communities. And then, yes, absolutely, let's 100% support uh, local law enforcement and our healthcare system to respond, particularly to mass, casual mass casualty events in our own communities. Um, like, literally, like, give them a call. And ask them, when is your next mass casualty training and how can I help? 
Um, let's um, let's not be complacent. We know there's competing demands on the time of our police and ER systems. And so let's be people who lean in and step forward. We're going to continue our conversation with Elizabeth Newman in just a moment. There are wars and rumors of wars. We're just going to check out what's happening around the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Whew. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a brand new year and I'm already tired. I don't just mean tired. I mean like spiritually tired, soul tired. Maybe you're struggling too. Maybe Christmas didn't all work out exactly like you thought. My friend Susie Larson wants to take us on a journey to explore God's goodness, his healing power, to know his peace that passes all understanding, to draw near to him. If you want in on that, all you have to do is text the word good to 877-933-2484. Again, you just text the word good to 877-933-2484. And every single morning, you'll get a text message from Susie Larson to wake up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Talking with Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. Um, You sometimes see her on ABC News. She works with the Moonshot Group and the National Immigration Forum. Elizabeth, as we um, survey what is happening around the world, obviously we're hearing a lot about what's going on in Gaza. We are hearing at least sometimes what's happening in Ukraine, but there's a lot of other sort of like long simmering global threats out there. I thought that um, maybe we would just sort of survey the landscape from your perspective. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Um, so I think there's like a macro thing, and then you know some some you know semi macro. I guess that uh, they're still big. The macro is since 2005 globally, we have seen declines in democracy and rises in authoritarianism or autocracies. And why that matters um, is that uh, authoritarian regimes tend to be more willing to abuse their people, build weaponry, and uh, and saber rattle, and sometimes actually go to war. Um, and so th- when we see such a dramatic shift, and these numbers are coming from Freedom House, which is a, a nonprofit that is um, seeking to expand and defend freedom globally, and they and they monitor uh, a whole series of um, trends or or uh, factors to be able to to make that assessment that a country is um, expanding freedom or retracting in freedom. And they've been sounding the alarm for a decade and a half that that we are in a period of contraction. Um, and so, in some ways, that it doesn't surprise. Um, that we have more uh, dictators that are willing to perhaps um, start not just a a regional conflict, but possibly something global. And that kind of brings us to what's going on in today's world. And we have everything from uh, China in the last um, couple of days, we've seen uh, China picking up menacing patrols near Taiwan. Of course, um, there was a, a an election recently there, and um, China did not like the outcome. Uh, so perhaps not too surprising that they're saber rattling. But there is, uh, in my field, um, constant debate about when China is going to go to war and try to take Taiwan. And um, there are quite a number of military analysts that 
look at what uh, China has been doing with its forces, and and they believe it's you know within the next few years. There are others that do think um, it will be uh, a longer term, or that um, uh, Xi will not ever do it. But uh, but that's definitely something that is. Uh, top of mind for for many national security um, folks. Um, And then beyond that, you still have North Korea, which has access to nuclear weapons. Um, They uh, just recently formally abandoned the goal of peaceful reunification with the South. Now, I I think given that we're over 60 years since that conflict started, um, it's not a surprise, but that is, you know, it is significant when they actually formally say, never mind, we're, we're not interested in peace. Um, so uh, we continue to see North Korea fire artillery shells, um, test rockets. Um, they are generally uh, perceived to be a, a non-responsible um, party in terms of even, even if they're not attempting to start a war, there there's always this concern that they might accidentally do so uh, because they're, uh, you know, playing with fire, quite frankly. Um, mm-hmm. So you you have that. You have Pakistan conducting airstrikes inside Iran uh, this past Thursday in response to uh, strikes that, um, uh, you know, both both sides, militants on both sides have been fighting each other. Um, and then, of course, probably the most uh, thing that you have been seeing on TV lately is that the United States and Britain have been targeting the Houthis in Yemen because they have been uh, basically conducting pirate operations um, throughout the Suez Canal area, seizing vessels and uh, prohibiting the global trade. Um, it's been quite disruptive and um, possibly we waited too long to address it, but but now uh, we, there is a military response and um, ongoing efforts to try to contain the Houthis, though uh, that has proven to be difficult. So lots going around globally. Um, I think I think there's probably more we could go through, uh, Carmen. But that's those are the highlights. Yeah, I think that um, for for people who are paying attention to um, the Korean Peninsula, recognizing that South Korea is just this vibrant Christian, you know, vibrant country that is populated by a majority of Christians. It's really an a, extraordinary place for North Korea. Uh, via Kim, Kim Jong-un to um, not just declare that North Korea's constitution should be revised, you know, to to eliminate the the language of having a goal of peaceful re- re- reunification with the South, but to actually um, replace that with language that South Korea is North Korea's invariable principal enemy um, and codify the commitment to, quote, completely occupy the entire Korean uh, territory in the event of war. I just um, that's um, that's not just like uh, the the kinds of barbs that maybe we hear them exchange verbally from time to time. Um, this is a you know a constitutional change, not just in language but in the posture of one country toward another. And so um, I think that's uh, I think that's really big. So Elizabeth, um, thank you for you know helping us to sort of see what's uh, on the horizon, what you as a security analyst are paying attention to, um, and thank you for being with us. Have fun at Sundance. Thanks, Carmen. I will send you pictures.
I love that. I love that. That's Elizabeth Newman. She's a security analyst. You can uh, connect with her at the Moonshot Group. Um, we're going to um, pick up a different topic next, and uh, Dr. Seigart is going to be here. Now, here's what you need to know about him. He um, He's a retired biochemist, but for most of his life, he lived as an unbelieving atheist. He's like a third or fourth generation atheist in terms of the family that he was raised in, which that in itself would be a fascinating conversation. But here's here's the reality. God was ultimately irresistible and undeniable. And how did Psy arrive at that? Well, through not just chemistry, but um, his, his, un, his study of uh, biogenesis and abiogenesis. So we're going to find out more how a scientist became a person of faith. And we're going to talk with him about the harmony between science and faith. His book is Science and Faith in Harmony. Dr. Seigart joins us next. Dr. Seigart is joining us now uh, with his book, Science and Faith in Harmony, Contemplations on a Distilled Doxology. We also, because I'm greedy, might reach back and have him tell us a little bit about how he as an atheist came to faith, which is the subject of his first book, The Works of His Hands. Uh, Dr. Gart, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's a it's wonderful to have you. First of all, I want to thank you for the tone of your book, um, because I think when we tell people, hey, we're going to talk with a retired biochemist, um, that might scare people off. But you are so full of wonder and joy. And um, and so I just want to I thank you for that in advance. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Would um, would it be OK for us to reach back um, and talk about sort of how you arrived at this place? Could, you include stories about your journey from um, from atheism to, you know, a vibrant, active faith in God. Um, but I do think it would be helpful for listeners who don't know you and don't know your story to have a little bit of a sense of the change in your life. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I, I think the most interesting part about my story is where I started from, which is sort of unusual. Uh, I grew up in a family uh, of not only atheists, but actually communists, going back three generations. Uh, so when I grew up as a child, I knew nothing about God, religion of any kind, uh, anything that smacked of spirituality or, you know, anything that wasn't purely materialistic. And that was uh, what I believed for, you know, the rest of my youth and even young adulthood and into early middle age, I was an atheist. And I was the kind of atheist who didn't just not believe in God. I believed that God was impossible. It couldn't be any such thing. And uh, I stayed that way, as I said, uh, for quite some time. What I was interested in was science. And I majored in, in chemistry and then in biochemistry in graduate school, got a PhD. And uh, it was actually uh, learning about science, both physics and biology, that began raising doubts in my mind about my belief, my worldview, my belief system. Uh, and, and that is because if you study science deeply, and this has been said by many people, uh, there's some famous quotes, uh, you begin to see that it, it, there's something else going on <laughs> behind 
the natural world. It's not, everything is not easily explainable by simply the laws of physics or the laws of nature. There's something else. And that something else mystified me and puzzled me. And I began thinking about what this could possibly be. And that, and what happened was very slowly, I became open to the idea of uh, something. I didn't know what it was. And eventually I began to consider myself an agnostic. I, I put aside my earlier beliefs. I had dropped communism a long time earlier. And I, I realized that atheism was really not perfect as an explanation for, for existence, for everything. And uh, that grew. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go right ahead. I love this. Uh, go right ahead. Just keep okay. unfolding it. <laughs> Feel free to ask questions at any point. That's that's not a problem for me. Um, so at, at some point, uh, you know, it, this I'm a baby boomer. And at some point during the 70s and 80s, I, I started hearing about New Age stuff and mysticism and spirituality. And it was interesting to me. It didn't really catch my attention much, but at least it, it made me think maybe there really is something else. I couldn't imagine what it might be. Uh, and then uh, somebody, a friend of mine, invited me to go to church, which is something I had never done. By now, I was in my 40s, and uh, I had never been in a, in a house of worship <laughs> of any kind in my life, and I was very frightened to do it. I didn't want to go. Uh, eventually, though, I did, and I was very surprised because uh, unlike what I thought would happen, it was a very pleasant experience. Uh, people were friendly. Uh, the This happened to be a Catholic church, and, I, and the, the priest talked about love, and that was not what I expected. I thought it would all be, you know, fire and brimstone and that kind of thing. Uh, and I went back a couple of times. I even began looking a little bit at the, at the New Testament. Uh, at some of the Bible, and uh, that was also a surprise because it wasn't as terrible as I had been told. <laughs> and when I read the book of Matthew, I, I found it interesting and very inspiring in places. And and then I read the book of Acts, and that had a strong effect on me because uh, one of my hobbies has always been history. I love reading history, and the book of Acts reads like history. It doesn't read like somebody's mm -hmm. making up a story. And that got me really thinking. And I started looking into this whole question of Jesus Christ, which I had never done before. I had I'd always said, well, God, what is God? You know, it can't exist. But Jesus Christ was a person. He, he walked mm -hmm. around on earth. Whether he was God or not, of course, I doubted. But it was a real person. And what did he say? And what did he do? And, and this became very interesting to me. And while I was doing this, I remembered a dream that I had had when I was much younger and still an atheist, which I had no understanding of when it came to me. And uh, if you like, I can tell you briefly what that dream was. It's it's all dis all of this is discussed in detail in my first book, which you mentioned, the works of his hands. But yeah, I could just Cy, let me just out. let me just remind people because maybe they're just joining us and they're like, who is talking and what is he talking about? Because I want to right. know more. Uh, this is Dr. Cy Gart and Gart has an E on the end. So if you're going to find him, you're going to go to Cy, S-Y, Gart, G-A-R-T-E dot com. We're talking about um, his journey from atheism to faith. And then we will, I promise, get to a conversation about his brand new book, Science 
and Faith in Harmony, Contemplations on a Distilled Doxology. Um, all right, talk with us about the dream you had as a non-believer that you came to understand as sort of your faith was was beginning to bloom. I'll, I'll try to be, make it quick because I know we don't have a huge amount of time. I, I, basically, what happened was I, I dreamed I was hanging by my hands off a cliff and very, very frightened. And then I heard a voice. I didn't know what to do, but I heard a voice saying, just let go, which yeah. was crazy. But eventually I was so tired. I, I did. I let go. And instead of falling, what happened was the world turned 180 degrees and I was, I'm sorry, the world turned 90 degrees and I was lying flat on my stomach, holding onto a boulder on the, on the ground. And, uh, I looked up and there was a man standing there and that man was the person who had said, just let go. And I woke up, I had no idea what that meant. But when I started thinking about this idea of Jesus as being real, I I realized what that meant. And what it meant was just let go meant let go of all the baggage that I had in my mind and my in my life that was telling me that, you know, God was impossible, that there could not be any such thing. And that really had an effect on me. And I began looking into this whole question of of Christianity in much more detail. I had a couple of other dreams and some other experiences, which I won't go into. But as I said, they're in my first book and uh, the works of his hands. And want, people can see that there. And eventually, finally, I was really interested in the idea of Jesus Christ, but I found it very hard to get over the final hump and say that I could really believe until I had a waking experience uh, while I was driving and listening to the radio. And again, uh, that's in my book. And uh, if we have time, I'll mention it a little bit, but I'll just say that that experience was so powerful. It It was definitely the Holy Spirit that brought me at the end of it to say out loud, I believe. And at that point, everything changed. I burst into tears. And from then on, I've been a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, Sai, we definitely want to hear that story. So, um, (laughs) because people are listening to the radio right now, and some of them are skeptical, and uh, and some of them are holding out hope, and some of them feel like they're holding on by their fingernails uh, to the edge of a cliff. So we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment with Dr. Cy Gart. The book we're going to get to discussing here in a moment is Science and Faith in Harmony. You can find him and all his books at SyGart.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back for the rest of the story. Jesus loves the little children. You guys know that. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are little children in the world who need Jesus. They also need things like basic food and medical care. Jesus tells us that what we do for the least of these, the little ones, we do for him. So this is your time to become the champion of one child, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope, and you work together with people who are on the ground to change the families, the communities, the future. You might not feel like you could change the world, but you can for one child. Meet the kids and find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. People often say that science is at war with faith. Um, Dr. Seigart makes the bold assertion that they are actually in harmony. We're going to 
talk with him about that in just a moment. But he's in the middle of a story talking about just the right message at just the right time that came via the radio. So, Cy, let's pick up on that story where we left off. Okay. I was driving alone, a long-distance drive, and I had the radio on, and uh, uh, the voice of a preacher, a Christian preacher, came on. And I listened for a while, I, and then I realized uh, that this this man had a wonderful uh, style of speaking. And I turned off the radio, and I just had a, a vague thought in my mind that uh, I like to talk. And, <laughs> you know, what would it be like if I tried to give a sermon, which I found very funny. But uh, then I started, something happened. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. I, I had a strange feeling, and, and next thing I knew, I... I felt that I was giving a sermon to, uh, I don't know, to a group of people. And uh, the sermon that I gave was not coming from me. And I don't know if I spoke it out loud or if it was just in my mind, but the words were fairly simple. And what I said to this crowd was, I know that Jesus Christ loves you because he loves me. I know he loves me. And if Jesus could love even me, the sinner that I am with my past, who could he not love? And at that point, I, I had pulled the car over and I burst into tears because I didn't know where those words had, came, had come from. They, mm. they didn't come from me. They came from outside. And I realized it was true. And I realized that everything that I heard and read about Jesus Christ was true and that he is the source of love, even for me. And that's when I said out loud, it's alone in my car, I believe. And from then on, I was a Christian and everything changed. And and I understood finally what that word, what that phrase means to be born again, because I felt I was born again at that hmm. at that point in my life. We're talking with Dr. Cy Gart, um, and he grew up as an atheist. Um, and he is a Christian, and he is full of wonder and joy, and he brings all of that to bear in his conversations about the harmony, the harmonies, I should say, that he discovers between science and faith. So, Sai, let's um, let's jump to that conversation. And I'm just going to say now, we might have to have you back, because there's no way I can unpack 44 chapters and the amen in like five minutes. So, I don't know what your schedule looks like, but would you come back? I'd be delighted to. That would be great. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, then I won't try to smash it all in to the next couple of minutes. Um, let's do this. Um, if you just had a couple of minutes to tell people about the book, Science and Faith in Harmony, like, what's your two-minute drill down on this topic? Well, the first minute would be why I wrote it, and the second minute would be a general overview of what's in it. So um, if you'd like, I could try that. Do it, man. Go. Okay. So why I wrote this book is important because we know that the church is having some problems in this country and, and throughout the Western world. Uh, people are leaving the faith, especially younger people. And one of the reasons that is often given, it's not the only reason, but one reason is that, you know, science is real and religion is not. Uh, science is based on facts and faith is based on hope or whatever. This is completely untrue, and uh, it it should never be a reason for anyone to lose their faith in Christ, because, first of all, science, 
originated in Christianity, in, in European Christianity, and the kind of science we know based on experiment, etc. And all the original scientists, and up until pretty much into the 20th century, were Christians, devout Christians, because they go together beautifully. And the title is also something important because, you know, I, I started out as, as, a, as a person very interested in music. I went to a high school of music. And one thing about music is that it, there can be beautiful melodies, but what's really beautiful in music is when you have two melodies which are not the same that play together. And what we call that is harmony. And if you think about it, if you listen to any any choir or any beautiful uh, piece of music, a symphony or, or a chorus, what you what you love about it is the harmony. And the harmony has to be from the two or two or more voices playing or singing different notes, right? And that's what science and faith do. And this book is all about that. It, it's examples. As you said, there are 44 short chapters. Each one is a few pages discussing how science plays one melody and faith plays a different melody about some topic, but they harmonize together beautifully. And when they're put together, you get a beautiful picture of the reality of of existence. And, And that's the origin of the title, and that kind of describes the book in a general sense, there, are, I, you know, when I come back, we can talk about some of the examples. Oh, yes. Uh, when you come back, you're going to take us to the ocean. Um, you're going to talk about the stars. Oh, yes. When you come back, <laughs> I have many, many questions for you. But let's close with this today, um, because this is where you land. Um, talk with us about the Amen. About the Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, at the very, very uh, end of the book. The end of the book is is basically trying to sum up what the purpose of the book is, uh, who it's intended for. Uh, again, it's very much oriented towards the idea that you know we we need to understand that both ourselves. And our children, uh, especially our uh, our growing children, our adult children, who might be questioning faith based on science, that this is not something that should deter anyone from holding on and embracing even more closely their Christian faith. Uh, It's so good. And and the advice is, you know, if you're interested in science, wonderful. Pursue science. But understand while you're doing it, and you should understand that, that science is distilled doxology. In other words, it's the purest form of worship of the creator. It's so good. It's just so good. All right, Cy, I, um, until next time, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave our conversation there and just say until next time. Dr. Cy Gard has already agreed to come back, but you can visit with him online and check out all of his books Sygart, S-Y-G-A-R-T-E dot com. You know that I will text that to you directly if you want it. The text line's open, 877-933-2484. His latest book, Science and Faith in Harmony, Contemplations on a Distilled Doxology, which sounds super complicated, but it's really these wonderfully 
um, full of joy and wonderment exercises in discovering the harmony uh, between science and faith. It's just lovely, and you will certainly enjoy it, and we'll have him back. So we're going to close today um, just with this. I know it's Monday, and I know I promised you that I was going to start doing the Monday mailbag, but I don't have time today. So, um, Andrew, thank you for asking all of the really good questions that you are asking. Um, you can send me questions for Monday mailbag, which obviously we'll do next Monday, or maybe sometime later in the week when it's not Monday and we'll act like it is. Uh, and you can text them to 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, Andrew? Here is um, my first statement of gratitude to you for asking the questions that I thought everybody already knew the answers to. That's been a huge gift to me. Um, You are such a good reminder that everyone does not know um, what I already know. So thank you for that. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.